Thank you, guys. Thanks, Tanya. You can look that up for me. We've come to the last part of our series, and we've been looking at um, the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, and the theme of our message has been the four marks of the true church. And we've been looking through week by week, and we looked at the first week was Paul's suffering and how like, to really be uh, the people of God, suffering is not something that we just endure. It's something that we go through for the glory of God. And it's that attitude change where suffering uh, for the sake of Christ is actually a privilege, not something that we try to do a course to get rid of, but we grow and we strengthen through suffering. And then Paul went on to talk about unity, how it was so important for the church and the people that come together to be in one accord, to be um, united in a sense of purpose and belief. And then Matt shared with you a couple of weeks ago about righteousness. And I want to share it a little bit differently. I think the, the best way to, to talk about it is Paul talked about pain, how to, how to endure pain for the glory of God, how to come through pain with a positive attitude. And then he talked about having peace and how peace is, is relational and it's working through unity with one another. And then he went to, on to talk about purity and righteousness and how that's an essential quality of our lives. But today I want to talk about what Paul sort of implicitly highlights in the last chapter of, of his book, to, his letter to the Philippian church, and it's really this whole idea of partnership. And this is one of those um, sort of messages where you're preaching to the choir, okay? because you're already doing what Paul's urging and exhorting this group of people to do. But it's always a really timely reminder to think about why Paul wrote this. And when we get to Philippians chapter 4 and Paul writes this, uh, this last chapter, this conclusion to his letter, it's very personal. Uh, in fact, he uses people's names. And the whole thesis that he's basing his, his final chapter on is about partnership and working together for a purpose of building a church, a local church that's united together, that is a true church, not just, not just a place where people come on Sunday, but a body of believers that are united together and work together, work through their differences, commit, devote themselves, and value that community so much that they work hard to keep that relationship tightly knit together. So therefore, my brother and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Eudia and I plead with Sintiki to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received 
or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the peace of God will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. Yes, it was good of you to share my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I'm aptly supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory for ever and ever. Amen. (laughs) Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. What a beautiful letter. What a beautiful conclusion. There's so much warmth. There's so much affection. There's so much urging and exhortation in Paul's language and and his tone that he uses personal names. He says, you two, get together, work out your differences. Thank you so much for the gifts that you sent me. You can really feel Paul's heart for this church. And amongst all the churches, he loved this church probably more than anybody else. They partnered with him. They sacrificed, they gave him money, they sent people to him to care for him when he was in prison. These people understood what partnership was. And Paul was urging them to continue in that mindset, to understand what a blessing and what a benefit it is when we partner together in the gospel, in seeing that the gospel is preached and that it's proclaimed and that it goes out. And it's sort of woven implicitly through this passage of scripture. He's really saying, guys, do you understand how important the church is? Do you understand how significant and fundamental to the whole Christian dynamic is belonging to a church, to a group of people, and committing to that group of people, and bringing your part of the partnership to that vision? Because if you don't play your part, the ship can't move. We all need to be in it together. And that's sort of woven implicitly in what Paul is saying. And it's because of the language and the tone that he uses. He's saying this relationship that you guys have, this, this community is so special. It's God's family. It's the body of Christ. There is no more worthy cause. There's no more higher cause than to be committed to and to invest into them being part of this body of believers and being one in spirit and one in purpose and one in mind. It's a really beautiful passage of Scripture. 
this is a church that you are missing. And what Paul's trying to explain to us in the language that he uses today is that he uses the, the word koinonia, which is a Greek word for fellowship. And, and, and in Christian circles, sometimes we think fellowship is what we do after the service. We fellowship and we have a cup of tea. Well, that's a very shallow, very sketchy idea of what fellowship is. Okay? It's something very different to that. It's actually partnership is a better word. And it's this idea that we're all like Siamese twins. We're all joined together at the hip. And we all share the same blood. It feeds us. We're all connected because of Christ. There's an intimacy in the body. There's a diversity, but there's an intimacy in which we all come together. We share this idea of being so tied together that we cannot tear ourselves apart. We are family. God's family. Not just any old family. And it's really this idea of of going into partnership in business and contributing your resources for the so that your business succeeds. So Daryl's been in partnership before and it didn't work so well, did it, mate? But what Paul's trying to communicate to this group of people is that this this church is so worthy of our very best and giving our best and offering up our best and being committed to it. You know, I've been a Christian for a little while and I reckon the church gets a really bad plug. I really do. It cops a lot of criticism from outside the church, but it cops a lot of criticism from inside the church as well. But if the church is the body of Christ, if it's the bride of Christ, what sort of reaction would you get if you started criticizing some bloke's wife? What would he do? He'd get a bunch of fives, wouldn't you? Don't talk to my wife like that. You have no right. I want to challenge you today. Don't drag the church down because it is God's chosen vehicle for us to be in unity, to have family and relationship and to extend the gospel. Sure, the church has plenty of faults. It's not hard to find them because it's full of broken people. But the vision and the purpose of the church, Jesus has said, this is going to be the vehicle. This is going to be the way we're going to do it. And it's going to be my testimony to the principalities and powers of the demonic world that Christianity works. It works in common unity. But if we don't have common unity, the only message we're sending into the world is is that the gospel doesn't change lives and it doesn't work. Because I can't come in submission, I can't come in humility, I can't come and be a part of a network of believers and play my part. We've got to show the world that Christianity works and it works through God's chosen vessel, which just happens to be the church. And so we've got to be committed to the church, faults and all. We've got to be committed to bringing our best. And if the collective best comes together, then the church will be a beautiful place, won't it? How many churches are out there suffering from lack of finances? Why? Why are they suffering? Because people aren't bringing their best. Bringing their best to what? To pay a pastor? (laughs) To build up the body of Christ. That is the thing that Christ died for. If he died for it, if he gave his life for it, that's the value that God has put on it. The ultimate value, isn't it, really? 
And when he writes to the Ephesian church and he writes to the men of the church, and he says, men, love your wives like Christ loved the church. And Christ hasn't stopped loving the church. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And we've got to have in us a, a level of commitment and passion and dedication to the church. I'm not talking about the Baptist denomination. I'm not talking about the Catholic church. I'm talking about your local church, your local group of people where you've decided to put your roots down and be part of that family. Because you decide to be part of that family, you're connected to me in a very intimate and a very personal way. And anything that alters that relationship has to be dealt with. We have to work it through. We have to work together. We have to partner together to fulfill the vision that God had. It's not my vision. It's God's church. He owns it. We're just parts of it. And we're very significant and vital parts of it. It's beautiful language that Paul uses. The contribution of every individual is vitally important. And Paul talks about um, contending together. Now, contending is fi- like a fighting word. When you contend for something, you battle for it. And you fight for it because you believe in it. I believe in the church more than anything else. Do I get headaches from the church? Absolutely. Is it easy dealing with people? Never. It just isn't. Because we're so different and we're so diverse and we come with different preferences and likes. But above all that is Christ's purpose for the church. is for us to live in fellowship and partnership, and harmony, so that we get our needs met. But more than that, our needs are centered on meeting the needs of this very desperate, dying world. It's to demonstrate that the gospel works, and that our lives have been changed in a really special way. So our sense of value, our sense of reverence, our sense of dedication, and our appreciation and allegiance to the local church has to be rediscovered. We've somehow got to communicate to people that that going to church is not like going to the supermarket. You don't walk down the aisles and pick and choose what you want. You commit to going to the same supermarket every week. And you dedicate yourself to the vision of that church. Now, if you come to Catalyst and the vision of what we're on about doesn't work, that's fine. Go and find a church where you believe in what they're doing. But stick it out. Dedicate yourself to it. Bring your best to it. Offer your lives to it like Christ offered his life for the church. We've got to come with that, with that sense of value and appreciation of the church. And in this day and age, that's not an easy thing to do, is it? As people are transient, they come along to church, the pastor does or doesn't do something, and people get offended and they're off the out the door, they're down to the next church. What are we saying when we do that? My family doesn't matter to me anymore. Is that what we're really communicating by, by having this very shallow or very transient connection to church? No, we've got to dig our roots down deep. And when we do that, the benefit of that family and the benefit of that connection means other people will see and be grafted in and be blessed and we can bless others. And it's built on that foundation of one another. How many times does that appear in Scripture? One another, one another. You will know that they are my disciples for their love for one another. 
It's just implicit all the way. It's like a thread that ties all of Scripture together in the New Testament. It's so important that, that, that we get on board the local church. So let's lift our value statement about the church. Is the church going to fail us? Probably. Are we going to get hurt and disappointed? Yeah, why? Because we have this ideal that we're striving for to this, be this beautiful, unified bunch of people, and yet we're broken, shattered pieces of a mosaic. And God's in the, in the business of transforming us into his likeness, not just isolated in the community, but connected together in this community. It's an alternative to the world's community. And as we bring people in that are lost and broken and, and, and come to saving faith, we've got to bring them to a place where they're loved and accepted and nurtured. And that means we've all got to come and bring our very best. I believe Jesus said it something like this, where your treasure is, your heart is also. Is your treasure in the church? I, I can know whether your treasure is in the church. You know how I know? Because I know where your first fruits go. They go into the church. Because if God says it's the most important thing, then the most important thing to you goes to God first. They're not my rules. I don't make the rules up. It's just the model God said. It's the way that we demonstrate that we really are committed, isn't it? And I'm not, like I said, I'm preaching to the choir. I know that. But I want you to have that heart of love for the church like Christ does. And when Christ sees people disconnected from the church, when he sees believers that, that are so battered and bruised that they can't be part of family anymore, we've got to ache like God aches. And we've got to do the, the contending together to build this church up and protect it and guard it and love it like Paul was challenging this group of people to do. Where your heart is, your energies will be spent. Where your heart is, your enthusiasm will be injected. Where your resources will be invested. Your, your commitment will be attached to that. If you have as much passion and value for the church as I have, and then the next person has that, and then the next person has that, the collective passion that we have is exciting. It really is something very special. I want to describe it like this for you. To get one aeroplane from the tarmac at Tullamarine to the airport in Nandy, how many people are involved in the process of getting that plane airborne safely to its destination on time? A multitude of people, hey? I want you to think of one plane like one church. Okay, God's got a vision for that church. He wants to get that church from A to Z. Our ultimate destination is heaven, right? But God has a purpose for every church. And for that vision to be fulfilled, a whole group of people have to get, come together and contribute. To get a plane in the air, you need the people that issue the tickets and give you the boarding pass and, and get you to the gate and get you onto the plane, right? You need people that do security checks and, and surveillance and all those sorts of things, the customs and border protection. You need the engineers to make sure the plane's ready to take off, that the engine's not going to fall off halfway through or you know, impeller blades aren't going to disappear. You need baggage handlers to get all the, all the goods onto the plane. 
You need the purses and the stewards to look after you and feed you drinks and give you the vomit bag if there's turbulence or whatever they need to do. You need the pilots, obviously, and the co-pilots to to navigate and get it there. You need hostesses and people that serve. You need the grand handlers that navigate the plane. You need the the people that bring the jet bridge out so that you can actually get on, on and off the plane. You need caterers. You need refuelers. You need air traffic controllers. There's a plethora of people that go into getting one little plane from one destination to the other. And you know what? It's a beautiful analogy for the church. What we've done is we've said there's one really important person on the plane. That's the pilot. He's the most important person on the plane. We'll bow down and worship him. And we've substituted a pilot for a pastor. How many pilots have you actually met on a plane? Very few, hey? They're just locked away doing their job. Who makes being on the plane the most important thing? The hostesses, don't they? But what happens if the guy that's refueling the plane just decides he'll be lazy and not contribute? What happens if the aircraft controller says, hmm, too tired to go today, too tired to be part of my family, too tired to give my gifts and abilities. What happens next? (laughs) Plane falls out of the sky and crashes or something. Like everybody's important, aren't they? Which one's more important? I can't find one that's least or more important. They're all important because they just play a part. And that's what Paul was trying to communicate to these people. In partnership together, we get this plane in the air. But it's just one plane. It's just one church. When God looks at the perspective of church, he's got thousands and hundreds and millions of churches, all with visions, all with the need for people to come and invest and commit to get it off the ground, to get it airborne, to get it fulfilling its destiny and its vision. Really beautiful, huh? You know, I love the church. Really love the church, and I, and I hope today that you can hear Paul's heartbeat. You know what he says that that's really significant. He says to the Philippians, he said, "Whatever you've heard from me, or whatever you've seen me do, do the same thing." What what was Paul's life spent doing? Building churches. Everywhere he went, every ounce of his energy. He spent building churches. He was never a burden on churches. Sometimes he'd get on his knees, not just to pray, but to to build tents so that he could have the resources to go and build more churches. Why would he do that? Why would he give up his whole life and invest everything he had into, into these little groups of people in Philippi, in Corinth, in Thessalonica? Why? Because it was God's chosen model for you and me we need to commit to the church we need to have a value of the church that's high and elevated and reverent because it's the body of Christ there's no more beautiful thing I don't think than when Christians dwell together in unity and in purpose it really is something special So can I encourage you, if you ever hear anybody tearing the church down, grab them by the throat. That's right. Give them fivefold ministry. 
But really, we need, we, need, we need to say something. We need to say, okay, I get it. The church is not a perfect place. But we need to say to people, it's God's chosen vehicle. Let's build it up. Let's make it prestigious. Let's make it spotless and precious because it's a bride. And the one thing about a bride is that she's supposed to be beautiful, isn't she? Not criticised. Not dressed in rags. She's supposed to be something breathtaking, something pure, something truthful, something excellent, something praiseworthy, something noble. That's what I believe the church is. It really is something worth investing your life in. So I don't know what part you play. Darren might be a hostess. You might be a pilot. You might be an intercessor who's like a refueler who fills that church up with prayer. You might be a baggage handler, someone who just serves, just serves. Not the right statement, is it? We're all important in making this family of God work and work to its potential. Don't ever devalue yourself or devalue your contribution to the church. It is something very significant, something that will last for eternity. Because Christ is coming back for what? A church. He's coming back for a church. And I hope that we can say of ourselves when we stand before God, God, what you entrusted me with, the gifts, the resources, the passions, the energies, I spent them on what you valued most. Going to, ch- going to work's really important, but is it more important than your contribution to the church? No. It's not. Because we're advancing a kingdom. And God's chosen vehicle is that church. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you. Thank you that we have the privilege of, of belonging, of being accepted in the Beloved of being part of a community where we're valued, where we have significance, where we have purpose, where we can fail and be accepted back, where we can make mistakes and it not be held against us, where we can be nurtured and discipled and grow and be shaped and moulded into your likeness. Lord, we thank you for this family of God and we thank you for the value that you placed on it and you invested into it. That you said you would build your church and even all the resources of hell coming to tear it down would not prevail. That you would have the ultimate victory in building your church. And it's not about building buildings in a public place. It's about bringing broken, shattered lives together in the power of the gospel. And seeing that worked out through love relationships and through a purpose to take the gospel, the same transformational message that changed and impacted us out to those who need it and then bringing them in and loving them and teaching them and training them and sending them out again. Lord, we thank you that we can play a part in that vision. Lord, thank you for your church. Lord, I I want to ask your forgiveness when we've criticized or we've complained or we've been lazy or half-hearted about our commitment 
to other people. Lord, help us to understand our high calling to the church and to serve, to serve the purposes of your church. Lord, I thank you for the beautiful people in this church, Lord, because I just see so many servants, so many people that are willing to be baggage handlers and hostesses and, and, and roll up their sleeves and contribute. Lord, I praise you for what you've already done in the life of this church. Lord, don't let us get lazy. Don't let us forget the value of church. Don't let us get half-hearted about the vision. Don't let us get comfortable and sit back on the plane and just put our feet up like we're in first class. No, Lord, let us be servants. Let us take up a role and responsibility and fulfill that to your glory so that you can say, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you that you gave and you gave your best and you gave faithfully and you gave consistently and you did it week in, week out, year in, year out and you built my church. You built a beautiful place of relationship, of family. Lord, as we celebrate fellowship today as we celebrate partnership Lord thank you for the privilege thank you Lord that I can look around this room and I can see brothers and sisters people that I love so dearly and I know who love me and that sense of acceptance and belonging is something the world can't offer me I know I'm loved And Lord, the world needs that love. So Lord, help us to continue to fight and contend for this place, these people, these relationships, these values, these core values and principles that we we contend for, that the church is worth fighting for. It's worth giving our best. It's worth giving our all for the glory of God. Because your manifold wisdom, Lord, is displayed in the church. It's a mystery. But it's been revealed to us that this is the the place that God values. And so, Lord, we value it too. And we submit our lives in obedience to work for your glory. So, Lord, this week as we, we go about our being the church, Today we're gathered together as the church, Lord. Tomorrow we'll be scattered together, scattered outside in the community at work. But we're still the church. We're still tied together in relationship. Lord, don't let that get severed. Don't let that get damaged. Help us to work hard, to stay together, united. One heart, one mind, one spirit, contending together for the gospel and the church. Lord, would you bless each one here today? Lord, thank you for their faithfulness. Thank you that they've been giving of their lives and of their resources. Lord, reward them. Honor them. Bless them. Know that you're well pleased because of your contention for the gospel and for the church. Thank you for staying faithful. Thank you for staying committed to the purposes of God. Thank you for being loyal. And thank you for being 
rooted in the love of God and for putting your roots down and committing. Father, I praise you for each one here today. Lord, just bless them. Bless their lives so that they continue to be a blessing to others. Lord, help us get the Catalyst Church in the air and get it moving in the vision that you've given us, Lord. And as we seek to launch other churches and other planes, Lord, bring us the resources that we need to continue to build your church. We just thank you, Lord, that we can play a part and that you call us to be a part. Lord, we just bless you today. We worship you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if to finish today we can do something a little bit different. Can we just break up into some small groups? I want you, I want you just to pray for the church. And, um, and pray in, in, a, in a sense that, that we're in a battle. You know that. And the battle is to destroy the church, whereas we're fighting to build it up. There's so many different forces that are, that are trying to tear the church down. There's a whole army that the devil has set against the church. And I just believe sometimes we've got to stand. We've got to stand and contend and we've got to fight for what's important. And I believe today it's just good for us to stand together in unity and to pray and to pray for our church and for, pray for the people that belong to it. And encourage one another. So why don't we just break up into little groups today. It doesn't really matter whether five or six or twos or threes. It really doesn't matter. You want to share something? There'll be a mic somewhere. Yeah, and, and I also think as we're doing that, there's um, that opportunity to be praying for each other as well. When we were praying outside this morning... Um, the Holy Spirit was really revealing to all of us as we were praying that, you know, we need to be praying for each other. I believe that, you know, we, we've got some, you know, hurts and, and, and fears and idleness and all sorts of things that are happening within our own, our own selves. And sometimes we don't, we don't want to be sharing those things with others. And yet, like what Mark's just said this morning, we're, we're the body of Christ and, and, and God wants us all to be up in the air together. And I, I guess my heart's cry is that I don't want to see anyone left on the ground. I really, it really frightens me that that happens often and, um, and we forget. You know, when you're on that, another analogy I thought of, when we're going on our plane somewhere and you often hear those people's names being called out and I'm often wondering where are they? Like, you know, did they, they must have checked in. Where are they? They could be sick in the bathroom, you know. They could be so sick that they can't get out and they can't get on that plane and nobody goes searching for them. The plane takes off without them. They're left behind. And I guess my heart's cry is that no one gets left behind, that if you, if you feel like, you know, you're kind of being left behind and it seems like lots of people are on the plane and they're flying and they're going to this great destination but I don't feel like I'm going with them. That's such an awful place to be at. Mm. And um, I, I just want us to be praying for each other, not just for the church body, but for each other. And a couple of verses I think that God was showing me as well. Um, he's, he's saying, you know, pray 
We're praying constantly that God may count us worthy of his calling. You know, that calling, it's a high calling and he wants us to be worthy of it. And I think by that, he he wants us to know that we're all worthy of that calling, not just some. It's okay Mm. for this one to look like they're worthy, but we all want to be doing that together. And, um, you know, and there was another one. So it was about encouraging each other, you know, encourage each other, build each other up. Just, I like this part, just in, in fact that you are doing. You know, and we're urging, don't be idle. You know, warn those who are idle. It's okay to us challenge each other if we, if we see some idleness. You know, Mark's message today was saying, you know, sometimes we do feel idle. Sometimes we do feel like we're holding back, but... It's it's your right to say that to me, Cheryl. I think you're being idle. You know that's what we should be like. Um, Cheryl, I think you're being. <laughs> idle. <laughs> and and this part, encourage the timid, encourage the timid ones, help mm. those who are weak, and be patient with everyone. You know, making sure that no one pays back wrong for wrong, but we're always trying to be kind to each other, and and to everybody else. You know, and always trying to be joyful and praying continuously and giving thanks in all circumstances because that's God's will for us in Christ Jesus. Mm. And so I guess the main thing is, is that I want to see us all on that plane together. We're all doing something together. And I know the refueler doesn't get on the plane, but um, he needs to know that he's just as important and just as special and that no one's left behind. That's, that's my heart cry really is. So mm. I want us to be praying like that. Excellent. I don't need that. I got this. Cool. So why don't we do that? Trent, you grab a few people up there. Tabitha, grab some down there. Andy, can you grab some people? Um, Jeremy, grab some people up here. Ray up here. And just just let the Holy Spirit lead you. If you're visiting with us today, please jump in. Enjoy. Don't feel threatened. Just bless us and let us bless you as well.